Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is Match Week 2, and it came just as spicy as Match Week 1. Maybe even spicier, some might say. Some very tasty fixtures this week. Couple tasty ones last week. Obviously, first game of the season. You never know what you're going to get. Um, but you did some overreacting, came into this week, and got shut up pretty quickly, I would say. Yep. <laughs> In some areas, at least. Um, but that's how it goes. Match week one, overreact. Match week two, back to reality. Um, but to start off this week, we have some Manchester United news in the form of Mason Greenwood, which has gone on for it seemingly forever. I can't remember the last time he touched, I've watched him touch a live football. Um, but apparently there's been shit going on in the backgrounds with this lots of investigations uh both on the manchester united side internally and i believe i'm not even sure when the official court ruling came in i think it was a while ago now honestly yeah um yeah this has been going on for a while so pretty soon after the after greenwood was arrested on the initial charges um of suspected uh rape and uh coercion or domestic violence just charges mm-hmm. such as that pretty soon after the charges were dropped due to the um withdrawal of key witnesses and just prosecution said there just wasn't enough to you know go to trial and then after that um united conducted their own investigation which had gone on for a while um and they also determined that Mason Greenwood, you know, wasn't guilty of what he was being accused of. And United have done, you know, thorough, had done very thorough, um, had very thoroughly gone through. Yeah. <laughs> well, after they did their investigation, but once they completed that, and I'm blanking on the word, but they mm-hmm. they're thoroughly preparing for you know, Greenwood to come back. They were drawing up statements. They were, um, you know, asking around the club and getting a feel for um, not only how people at the club, but people outside the club, you know, pundits, you know, commentators, Mm -hmm. fans, how they felt about Greenwood coming back. And, you know, they had done their homework, been very thorough. And then once it was released, you know, uh, you know, maybe a week ago, uh, four or five days ago, that you know they were going to bring Greenwood back. There was you know severe public uh, backlash, mm-hmm. and despite the fact that United spent months preparing for the return of Greenwood, you know at the drop of a hat with the snap of their fingers, they've done a complete U-turn, and now Mason Greenwood is not going to come back to Manchester United. Um, so I think in the grand scheme of things, it makes sense that just purely because of the public backlash that they just couldn't do it. But, you know, United themselves, they, again, they did a very long investigation and didn't find any wrongdoing, felt, you know, he wasn't guilty of the charges. And it was re- it was really just completely the public backlash, almost similar to the European Super League, 
where mm-hmm. they just couldn't do it because absolutely none of the fans were behind it. And that's kind of a similar situation with Greenwood here. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where, like, I think comparing it to the Super League is, is I think, honestly, a good comparison. Obviously, two very different situations, but uh-huh. I think it's a good comparison because, like, in both situations, it seemed like the public reaction would be obvious. Uh-huh. Like, with the Super League, it was like, what did you think was going to happen when you announced that you were basically doing away with the current footballing structure and putting the elite clubs together for money purposes. Did you think the fans are going to be like sick? Like let's fucking go. <laughs> like obviously that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is the way football has been done forever. And when, if, if you change that, I don't know what kind of consultants they brought in for this that didn't foresee this, but like they should all be like flipping burgers. That mm-hmm. was embarrassing. And I think it's the same thing with this Mason Greenwood thing where the only reason Mason Greenwood wasn't criminally charged is probably because he had better lawyers. Like, at least to every single human in the public and every person I've ever seen talk about this on Twitter, in person, on any social media platform in general, has all been on the side of the victim. The evidence to almost everybody is to use a PGMOL term, clear and obvious. Uh. <laughs> um, I just, it just doesn't make sense how they could like ask around and say like, what do you think about bringing basically a known domestic abuser back into our squad? What, what would your reaction be to that? Roy Keane. I'm sure they asked him. Um, like, it's just silly. And I like the Super League. They eventually landed on the right decision, but I don't, maybe, maybe, I mean, clearly I'm, this is an opinion and it's not fact, but it just seems that it's the most common opinion is what I'll say. And I, I agree with the decision. I think, <laughs> uh, I saw a really funny tweet today. I don't know if it was intentionally trying to be funny, uh, but the tweet was, I, I couldn't tell if I got like ball sack sports, Do you know, ball sack sports no. on Twitter. So they just like post intentionally. It's like basically the onion, but sports. Um, so they, but it, it was like, it was a, but it was a pretty reputable news source. It was like transfer news live or something. And it was like, so great Mason Greenwood has been linked to Saudi Arabia, um, mm-hmm. since his dismissal from the United squad. And I saw a tweet that said Saudi Arabia is, I, it should be a, an, an onion tweet. And if it was an onion tweet, I probably would have laughed all the same that I did when I saw it on this tweet. But I said, uh, Saudi Arabia is rethinking their pursuit of mason greenwood because they're afraid it's going to affect their outward facing image (laughs) and that should just straight up be an onion tweet like that that's just great writing um and i mean it makes sense like fruit yeah i mean all of this you know saudi money is for sports washing so why on earth would they use it to buy a player who has so much negativity attached to him i mean it seems it seems ironic, but you know it makes sense. <laughs> They're trying we'll to cut, we'll curve the decision away. Off, yeah, <laughs> we we draw the line at domestic abuse. <laughs> um, unless they're gay. Anyway, <laughs> but 
<laughs> anyway, um, we have some feature games to cover this week. Uh, we'll start off with Tottenham United. We'll go to City Newcastle. We'll finish off with a big win for West Ham, 3-1 West Ham uh, at the Olympic Stadium. But we'll start off with Tottenham 2, Manchester United 0. Rather un you know, monumental first half, obviously no goals. United was dominating the first half for the most part, took their foot off the gas in the second half. 49th minute, Kulishevsky gets the ball, gets the better of Shaw and beats him to the end line, cutting the ball back. It caroms off Lissandro, who would have an even bigger part in a Spurs goal later in the game. And it finds the diving run of Pepe Sar, who gets not only his first goal for Spurs, but the first goal in this game to give Spurs the advantage at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. A very, very lively crowd for this game. I will say that, um, I you know, Andrew's first home game, I, I give the Spurs, I give Spurs fans a lot of credit for being very, very optimistic in this time. Obviously, very disappointing season last year, but, you know, a lot of changes. Reason to be optimistic. Um, and then the 83rd minute, Paris just cuts the ball onto his right, angles the ball in for an unmarked Ben Davies. How we got that high up the field, Beats me. It might have been from like a set piece situation, which is why he was that high up the field. And it kind of just like he was just in and around the box, which a lot of defenders do. They just kind of sit there until they're required to to run back. Um, but he finds it. He finds an unmarked Davies just outside the six, swinging a mighty boot at it, but only managing just the skim. Lissandro, however, behind him does not expect the awkward contact, shooting at his leg to stop it, but inadvertently sliding it past Onana to double Spurs advantage, and that's how it would end at the Tottenham Stadium. 2-0 Tottenham, three points for Tottenham. Manchester United just one point through two games. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the uh, Ben Davies goal, or rather, Lissandro Martinez's own goal, and how Mm -hmm. it seems odd Ben Davies is that high up the pitch, but this is kind of, you know... This is the way Postacoglu wants to play with, you know, those inverted fullbacks. Maybe not necessarily that high up the field, but, you know, you do get situations like that with, again, you know, the inverted fullbacks playing more centrally, making those kinds of runs. Um, But, yeah, United, you know, one win from two, not the worst. I mean, uh, going to away at Tottenham, with you know new manager new optimism you're not always going to get uh points out of there so again in the grand scheme of things it's not really concerning but combine that with the performance last week where you got three points but looked pretty poor um not the best start to the season for them um you know it's almost the opposite way around this week where last week they got the three points and looked completely unconvincing this game. They weren't terrible. I mean, they dominated the first half and they kind of just took their foot off the gas in the second half. Mm. I mean, it sounds stupid to say, but it's really just a lack of goals. That's their problem. They outperformed Spurs on expected goals and one moment of clinicality. I mean, Rashford had a free header from, by the way, an insane Rabona cross from Bruno. I don't know if you saw that, but that was ridiculous. <laughs> I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I saw the chance uh, in the highlights. I, I watched most of this game, but I missed that chance. Um, I saw the chance in the highlights, and I he just like Rabona crossed it, and then I didn't even realize until the 
I guess the replay. And I was like, oh shit, you like actually are going across <laughs> that. Like, I mean, what a Bruno thing to do, but yeah. Yeah, but you know, Rashford had that free header. Bruno had a f- even easier header that he just completely yeah. missed the mark oh, they on. Were worth, certainly worth a goal in this game at least. Vicario had a couple very nice saves. I thought he had a really good game, Vicario. Um, but one goal could have changed the narrative for this. One moment of clinicality when the game was either nil-nil or one-nil. And, you know, the script is completely flipped, but that's soccer for you, and United come away with nothing. So Yeah. I I, I was really, really impressed with the way Spurs played. Uh, I mean, at home is nice. A very energetic crowd obviously changes everything, but I, I can't... It was one of the things, like, last week, um, Chelsea-Liverpool, I wasn't entirely sure... If Chelsea were just playing really well or Liverpool were playing really poorly, like I can't tell if United's just not doing United things and allowing Spurs the opportunity to win this game. Like United could have killed this game off in the first half and it would have been completely different. Um, but this Tottenham team, I haven't seen this Tottenham team play like this in a very long time because under Conte. They've been very, very defensive, and now all of a sudden they have James Madison there, who's playing fantastic and really hasn't put a foot wrong in, you know, uh, two games now for Spurs. Um, Son's been good. I I questioned his leadership a little bit because I I didn't know what kind of a leader he was. He's been good. I don't know, obviously, what he's like in the locker room, but Basuma has been fantastic. He was dormant all of last season i think it's a good way to put it um pepe sar has been good like the defense has been okay like i i feel like that probably still needs some shoring up in order if that for them to even think about top four um but tottenham hotspur playing really well no europe like i said they would come eighth but right now they're not certainly not playing like an eighth place team United, on the other hand, are playing like an eighth place team. And I think, I mean, I, I feel like we talked about it a while ago that when we were talking about United in the transfer window, that if they didn't get a striker, which they did get a striker, but he, uh, he's not healthy, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they don't have a striker, and that would probably lead to moving Rashford up top, and that's just not his position. And I think it's showing because they have one goal in two games, and they, I, I don't know. I, oh, did I say they have one point in six games? They don't have one point in six games. They have three points out of six. I, no. I, 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 they played so poorly last week. I thought they drew. No, they they ended up getting a win in that game, which was you know a gritty win. Um, but yeah, I, that Rashford up top. I like that Garnacho's getting time, but Rashford is just not a striker, and Rashford is one of the best pure left wingers in world football, really. And you know, imagine putting Vinicius at striker. Would he be good? Sure. But like, I, you know, you would never think to do that because he's so good at left wing. And mm. I think I saw a tweet this week that said like Arteta would never move Odegaard or, you know, Jesus from their natural positions. Why are we moving Rashford? It'd be like putting Martinelli at striker. Yeah. Like Martinelli yeah, could no, be a decent, he could be a decent striker, but you know, just like Rashford, like their strengths are taking guys on. Exactly. Yeah. Um and we and we said it before that like that just would it would just be complete uh subtraction from this team. It would put Rashford out of his element. Um it would mean that they don't have a pure number 9 
and they still don't. And I haven't checked in on the Hoyland injury news, but uh, I haven't heard that uh, of his return anytime soon. So I don't know. Mason Mount has been very pedestrian. Um, Casemiro's been good. Fernandez obviously had a good season last year. Let's roll that over into this year. Lissandra's had a very shaky couple of games, um, but his counterpart, Veron, got the winner last week. Um, I, I mean, it's definitely concerning, but not in the way that it's, I use that term for other clubs because it's very, it could very easily click. And I think that the addition of Hoyland, getting Hoyland back as an, a number nine, just to be a number nine, you know, and displace Rashford and put him back, displace Rashford from the nine and put him back in his natural position knock Garnacho out of the squad as much as I think he deserves playing time. And by the way, Anthony is just like, not yeah. it right now. <laughs> like that, like, oof, you know, like I, and I, Anthony's a weird one because Anthony was like, so fucking good at, at Ajax. Like that dude was like a human highlight reel at Ajax. And like, it's not like Mudrick cause Mudrick really wasn't at Shakhtar. He was just like very promising. Anthony was a straight human highlight reel at Ajax. He was dancing on people. He was so direct, such a good finisher, like literally impossible to cover. And he's just lost that. And I, 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 for the life of me, I can't figure out why. Like 1v1, it's not like finishing where like, oh my God, it's all in your head. 1v1 is just like God-given ability, you know, especially for Brazilian, right? So like... <laughs> It's not something that just like is a confidence thing. It's just like natural. It's just like I don't know. It's just I've been playing this game a while and 1v1s are those things that like it's not really like if you're having a bad day you start losing 1v1s, you know, like as a winger. It's just like you're either good at them or you're not. And I think maybe he's just like not doing them as much because he's lacking confidence, but like he needs to go back to what works for him. And he's really still really quick, and he's still very good at one v ones. The finishing is a confidence thing, and God knows if we'll ever get that back. But yeah, maybe is it time to move on from Anthony? Two games into the season would be an overreaction to say that, but uh, at it's at this trajectory, you may have to slide Garnacho over to the right. Yeah, I think the main thing for this, the main issue with the United attack, obviously, um is the lack of striker but by putting Rashford striker you're now almost missing a striker and a left winger like you could have if you just keep Rashford on the left and I guess just start Martial up top I mean that's kind of their only healthy striker at the club now but by playing Rashford up top it's almost a bit of a double whammy now listen Rashford obviously can play up top like yeah, Rashford is still a high-quality player, and he's played the nine plenty of times before. Yeah, yeah. But I, obviously, he's not best utilized there. And I think in terms of overall quality for position, it'd be a better combination of Rashford on the left and Martial up top than, you know, starring Garnacho or Sancho or whoever on the mm-hmm. wing and putting Rashford up top. I think just in terms of, like, net quality... It'd just be better to have a lesser player at striker, but put Rashford in his best position. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I agree. 
you were saying. Yeah, but before I move on, I just wanted to give Spurs some praise because I get to do that. Yeah. Um, really, you talked about Madison. Um, again, just another great performance from him. Like I said at the beginning of the year, he's one of the best tens in the league. People just, you know, forgot about that because he's playing for shit Leicester. Um, and now another revitalized player, Basuma, too. Second great performance from him. He was tremendous alongside Saar in midfield. Um, and like you said, it's just a really, it's just a really energetic midfield. It's, uh, I mean, this Postacoglu team, they're, they're fun to watch because they're playing more risky football than in Conte's team. They misplace a lot of passes. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they leave, they're leaving themselves more vulnerable, but you know, they are taking more risks. It is more, they're playing a better brand of soccer. It's not purely just counterattacking. It's not over the top. It's more, mm-hmm. you know, switches of play and diagonals, really. That, yeah, it's, it's especially like Madison is so yeah. good at. Um, it's, a, it's like a different team from what you yeah. saw last year. Yeah, it really is. And there's justified positivity um, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So, great win for them. Especially after losing, you know, their talisman. What a way to, you know, what a message that they can lose. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Arguably the best player in the history of their club. And, you know, have such a positive feeling around the grounds. So Sure. All right, let's move on. Manchester City 1, Newcastle nil. We start off in the 30... 30- First minute, Kovacic cutting open Newcastle's midfield with a precise ball into Phil Foden, drawing over a center back and cutting it back across the 18-yard box to Alvarez, who is in acres of space around the 18-yard box. Very rare when you play Newcastle to have that much space in the in the uh, offensive third. Um, taking a good first touch and curling one just out of the reach of Nick Pope for the for what would be the winner on the day. They generated more chances. That was probably the best of them. Um, they did what Arsenal did in the Community Shield and what a lot of teams are probably going to do against City, and that is man mark, double cover Erling Holland and let the rest of the team beat you. And that's what happened. Phil Foden was brilliant again. Alvarez obviously took his chance very well. It's the thing with City is that like they have Erling Holland, but like everyone else is like right fucking there which is why yeah. they won the goddamn treble because that's <laughs> what treble teams do is have quality from top to bottom and if you if one guy has a bad day the rest of the team picks him up if two guys have a bad day the rest of the team picks him up if eight guys have a bad day the other four get the job the other three get the job done so yeah i mean i feel like i've been praising manchester city since we started this thing but they certainly deserve it yeah and this is probably a victory that would go underappreciated for City just because they have so many of them. And on paper, you know, amidst all the, you know, 5 nil, 6 nil humblings that City, you know, do to teams, you know, a 1-0 victory against Newcastle doesn't look particularly impressive. But City are missing De Bruyne, Stones, and Bernardo Silva. And Guardiola didn't make a single substitution throughout the entire game. And yet, from minute one to minute 90, City completely and utterly dominated this Newcastle team who looked unstoppable last week at home against Mm. uh, Aston Villa. They allowed one shot on target and 
0.28 expected goals. Um, Foden, again, you said, you know, how good he was. He was fantastic. I mean, his, his directness, just every single time he picked up the ball, he was just driving through the midfield with just full sprint. And you picked out Holland many times. Obviously, he got the assist for the Alvarez goal. But he genuinely looked like De Bruyne out there because, you know, it's such a, you know, common thing, you know, you see when De Bruyne picks up the ball in midfield, it's just how quickly he drives forward, just head up looking for that pass. And that's exactly what Foden was doing all game. He was phenomenal. And, you know, and especially in his first game in that, obviously Foden plays plenty, but when De Bruyne is healthy, usually Foden is, you know, playing off the right or the left. but this is the first game where he's played through the middle, obviously now that De Bruyne is injured for the foreseeable future. And, you know, things are looking bright with Foden. There's not even that much to criticize Newcastle for in this game. They just really couldn't touch City. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they... It's very clear to see how good City is when they play a team like Newcastle. Because Newcastle... City keep the ball whenever they wanted. Like anytime they won the ball back in the midfield, even if they were immediately collapsed by Newcastle players, there was always somebody moving into space. Usually it was Rodri or Foden. Always somebody moving into space, always an outlet pass. They got the outlet pass. They got it back to their goalkeeper, set up, and went to work. Newcastle didn't do that at all. They waited too long on the ball. Their midfielders held onto it too long. They got collapsed by the City press, and City wins the ball back. They get collapsed by Newcastle. Always an outlet pass. Bing, bang, bosh, back to the keeper, reset possession. It's so goddamn difficult to play against the City team because if you, lose, if you lose the ball clean and City has possession, it is impossible to take the ball off of them unless they are overambitious with their passes in the midfield or your, keep, your keeper gobbles up a cross or they miss the goal and it's a goal kick. That's basically the only three ways you ever get possession back or the ball's in your net and you get it from kickoff. That's four. That's basically the only four ways you will ever get possession back from a Man City team. And that is absolutely insane because there are teams around the league that over dribble, uh, give, piss the ball away in the midfield, bad touches, lob the ball up from the keeper. It's like they, City never do, did that. They do that sometimes. They lob it up to Holland when they've been you know pressed well. But on the day, they were so good. Even against a good pressing team like Newcastle, they were so good. They never even did that. They always played out of the back. There was always options. Movement in the midfield. Foden, I mean, he was great on the ball, but off the ball. He moved into space, gave everybody options at all times. That's a De Bruyne thing. And it's now a Foden thing, I guess, which fucking sucks for everyone else. But, yeah, I mean, Phil Foden, I praise his patience because he is an absolute fucking stud. And he's been overshadowed by not only De Bruyne, but a lot of very quality players, Bernardo Silva, Jack Grealish, uh, Red Mares, Gunduan at times in the past, and he's had to wait his turn, and when he gets his turn, he fucking kills it every single time. I, ra- I rarely see Phil Foden have a bad game, you know, and he's only like 22 years old, so yeah, fucking sucks. You know, as an Arsenal fan, you're like, De Bruyne went down, like, you know, you never want to see a player get injured, but, like, these are kind of the breaks we need. And then Phil Foden steps up and is, like, almost as good, if not better. Um, so, 
I guess that's that. Um, City take all three. They are one of three teams, Arsenal and Brighton being the other two, on six points at the top of the table. I believe it goes Brighton, City, Arsenal, because Brighton have just been absolutely destroying teams in the first, yeah. through the first two weeks of the season. And we'll get to Brighton in just a second. But for now, we move on to West Ham 3, Chelsea 1. We start off in the seventh minute. What else is there to say about this one? James Ward-Prowse set piece goals. This time from a corner to a poorly marked Nayef Agord. Hammers take the early lead. I mean, the dude is a machine. James Ward-Prowse. And this one wasn't even like a 25-yard set uh, free kick. Just any time the ball is sitting still and you have to stand 10 yards away from him because that's the laws of the game. Every time that happens, it's it's like 50% chance the ball's in the net in the next 10 seconds. The fact that he's got guys like Aguirre then Suchek to deliver balls into is just a cheat code. And the <laughs> fact that I've also heard rumors that they're going for uh, Enesari as their new striker. Mm. Literally wow. nobody on the planet can outjump Enesari. <laughs> if, 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 if they get him, yeah, might as well get Vayhorse. <laughs> like, honestly, I don't... It's undefendable. It's genuinely undefendable. Yeah. So uh, we move to the 28th minute. Uh, Chilwell's cross is cut off by Zuma in the box, but the ball finds Chukomeka, uh in the inside the 18. Takes a really good first touch to settle. Dribbles inside in towards the end line, then out to his strong foot, finding just a bit of space and smashing a curler past Ariola for the equalizer. A really really good goal for Chukomeka. Uh Almost out of nothing, it came from a set piece. Um, kind of just did it all himself. Took the ball inside outside. Create a bit of space. Very quick. Chukumeka, very powerful on the ball. And struck one that gave Ariel a really no chance in the end. We jump to the second half. 53rd minute. James Ward-Prowse again. Lopping one up top to find Antonio. Facing goal from 40 yards out. Shedding a Colwell challenge while taking the ball down. Squaring up with DeSassi from 22 yards from goal. And then deciding to not even go for the 1v1. Just unleashing one. From 22 yards, sizzling in by the far post past Sanchez to reestablish the West Ham advantage with just 37 minutes to go in this game. Time goes by. Chelsea dominate possession, as you might imagine. Uh, Chelsea team would being down a goal and needing to be urgent, uh, finding opportunities, but in the end, not getting the ball over the line. And eventually, as part of West Ham's efforts to see out the game in the 95th minute. With uh, 10 men, hold- we should add. With 10 men, yes. I mean, the red card was, I, it was second yellow, right? Uh, For, one uh, of the most stupid second yellows I've ever seen. Just because, like, the one of the most reckless challenges you'll yeah. see from a center back on a yellow. Just yeah, complete uh, head loss there. But We have a lot of talent in the Premier League, but not always the soccer IQ. Um, but eventually, 95th minute, West Ham holding the ball in Chelsea's corner. Uh, eventually finding a small sliver of overcommitment from Chelsea using quick interplay to find our old friend Emerson Palmieri open in the box. Um, seconds later, Britain's most expensive man, Moise Caicedo, dives in to win the ball back, but instead tripping up Emerson in the process. And Paqueta slides home the PK to seal three points for West Ham. At the London Stadium, 3-1 Chelsea, 3-1 West Ham is your final. And, I mean, this is, it's, I mean, like, 
it doesn't feel as special anymore because Chelsea <laughs> just did this for like a whole season. So I I mean yeah, I mean I'm not going to say no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It feels different because at the end of last season, it just got boring because like they were doing it every week and like they were already finishing mid table. So it didn't yeah, even yeah. matter anyway. After a certain point, like you knew like Chelsea weren't achieving anything and the wins kind of yeah. is diluted. They weren't as fun anymore. Yeah. But they're starting to get more fun again. Now that there's so much optimism <laughs> <laughs> or that's just going, that's just sinking right back down. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of just, it's reinvigorated these Chelsea losses. They're, they're fun again. From a uh, rival fan's point of view. Make Chelsea losses fun again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all I've ever wanted. Um, yeah. Is it time for Chelsea to panic? No. It's, it's two games in. Let, let's, let's be real here. Nobody should really be panicking after two games. No. If, these, if these two results happen in the middle of the season, no one's banging an eyelash. But because it's the first two games of the season, there's nothing else to judge it on. That's so, is it time for Chelsea to panic? No. Is it time to make fun of Chelsea? Of course it is. When isn't it? So, let's, <laughs> let's do that. Um, Moises Kaisei, though, just a god-awful debut. God-awful yeah, debut. Unfortunate. It's a very unfortunate way to start your career at Chelsea. You he's, a, he's a great player. He's a great player. He will be a great player for Chelsea. I don't know who stepped on the field in Moises Kaisei's body today. <laughs> or on Sunday, but... I mean, again, this is the first penalty he's ever conceded. Uh, just a number of times he gave the ball up. Uh, just so uncharacteristic. And on the flip side, you have another new midfield signing, James Ward-Prowse, doing exactly what we expect him to do. Two assists, one from a yeah. set piece. Um, I think we failed to realize just how shit of a team Ward-Prowse has been playing on for the last three years. <laughs> like... And, like, looking back, like, yeah. considering his production on that god-awful Southampton side that only got worse as the years went on, now he's in, uh, listen, this, this West Ham team, you know, they're not stellar or anything, but they have talent yeah. and certainly potential. Mm -hmm. Certainly a lot better than Southampton. Yeah, you know, Ward Prowse can really cook. He really can. So... That that should be a scary sight for opposing teams. That Ward Prowse now has some real weapons beside him. Uh yeah. I mean, this West Ham team on paper is like decently well rounded. Agor's yes. been good. Ariola's been good. Uh, Suchek. I mean, obviously losing Declan Rice sucks, but like Suchek is serviceable at his worst and very very good at his best. Uh, Paqueta almost went to City for like a hundred billion dollars. Um, Antonio is just the biggest wild card in the Premier League and will continue to be until he's dead. Um, Ben Rama's good. Like Bowen, like this team on paper is like you know could push top half, should push top half, but mm -hmm. you know it's just been their form recently and maybe a, just a really really good sprayer of the ball in the midfield. Not that Paqueta wasn't, but like maybe just need that James Ward Prowse anchor to kind of just pull all the pieces together. Um, you know, a couple set piece goals gets you maybe another six, seven points in the league. Like it's it's fine margins in the Premier League, and I think it might go underestimated what that does. 
Um, but as for Chelsea, Sterling looked good. Enzo looked great again. Um, it's just like I said it before. It's just like huge fucking puzzle. And the chemistry was always going to be hard to get right. And that's kind of what it is. Mudrick had just a really weak attempt at a side-footed volley um, <laughs> that I saw, you could say too many times, but honestly not enough times on Twitter. <laughs> um, it, it's just, it's a big jigsaw puzzle. I said it before, it's just a big jigsaw puzzle. And a lot of other teams are working with a lot less pieces than they are. And... Will it work out? I think it will. It's just going to take a whole lot longer than other teams. But with that, we'll move to some scores from around the grounds to round out the Match Week 2 coverage. Starting off with Nottingham Forest 2, Sheffield United 1. Big three points from Nottingham Forest because they did not win their first game. Um, They, to establish themselves as survival candidates are going to start need to start generating points eventually they lost out to arsenal on match week one ended up getting three points in match week two sheffield united however zero points from six the relegation i I think they're probably odds on favorites to go down in like 18th or 19th just Mm. because they came up and didn't make many moves um they currently sit on zero with a couple other teams, so not a great start to their survival campaign. Uh, temporarily was postponed. Go ahead. By the way, if you want a uh, golden boot competitor for Erling Holland, look no further than Taiwo Wonyi. I think he has yeah. like eight goals in his last six games, <laughs> and he scored in like either six or eight games straight. Like yeah. this man does not stop scoring. I don't know what is going on, but. Mm-hmm. Came I may off the have bench to against Arsenal and, and scored in like six minutes. Yeah, I may have to reconsider Forrest going down if they're getting a 30 goal season out of it, won't you? Seriously. So, <laughs> I mean, I think it was because we kept giving him out as the, uh, as yeah. the goal pick substitute last year. No, he did kind not take that light. a fire under him. <laughs> <laughs> um, Liverpool 3, Bournemouth 1, Diaz Salah and Jota on the score sheet. Uh, relatively comfortable win for Liverpool, but the big story from this game was a consensusly weak Alexis McAllister red card that actually got overturned. This is the straight mm-hmm. red card. Obviously is, I think a two or three game suspension um, that got overturned. So he's eligible to come back. PGMOL apologizing for bad calls. What's new? Mm-hmm. Um, Wolves one Brighton four. Now it's time to heap the praise on Brighton. They are absolutely cooking um, addition by subtraction. I guess Moises Caicedo got that bum out of there. Opened up the midfield for uh, <laughs> new Moises Caicedo, Julio and Ciso to absolutely fucking cook. I think it's time to start a dialogue about Kyra Matoma because this dude <laughs> is he's went from like, you know, I don't say Maximon territory to like Mo Salah territory. <laughs> like and it's just like getting there. You know, I'm not going to call him Mo Salah yet, but like <laughs> dude, that fucking goal was like Hyungman's son. That was son-esque. world class. That was world class. Like, um, oh, my God. How good is it? Yeah. <laughs> he's ridiculous like he looks absolutely unstoppable every time he's on the ball and i created a uh mitoma Stupinon fantasy stack in my draft fantasy league oh my so god I just absolutely wrecked in fantasy this week which was really nice for me because yeah stupid young fantasy owners have been living la vida loca this season yeah. 
what he had um yeah goal and assist this game i think he had an assist or goal last game like yeah. what a player yeah um as for wolves they've got no points from six they sit 19th after getting their ass whooped by burnley uh not burnley brighton i should say um three red cards four red cards five red cards in the premier league this week um fulham the unfortunate victim of one of them they scored nothing Brentford scored three. Uh, Visa in the 44th, and then in Bomo, double after that. Uh, Tim Ream, the American boy, sent off in the 64th, unfortunately. One of the five casualties this week in the Premier League. Uh, nice three points of Brentford. They're cooking as well in the Premier League. Another, a team that I thought would maybe have a little bit of regression has not done that at all. They currently sit inside the top four. Aston Villa 4, Everton nil, an absolute ass whooping from Aston Villa. They took it personally that they got their asses kicked by Newcastle <laughs> last week, went back, dropped four on Everton's heads. Everton are sitting now rock bottom in 20th, and their Sean Dyche's survival campaign is not off to a fantastic start through two weeks. Always nice when you need a really big... <clears throat> Always nice when you need a really big bounce back game and you see Everton at home is next up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Ronaldinho meme where he's like licking his lips. Really yeah. Him. Yeah. That's <laughs> every Aston Villa player was him. Yeah. Um, speaking of licking their lips, Jordan Ayo and Crystal Palace took on Arsenal <laughs> at Selhurst Park and Arsenal came out the very stumbly beneficiaries in this game, taking all three, one nothing. Odegaard penalty in the 54th, but a Takahiro Tomiyasu red card made it significantly harder for Arsenal to see out this game. Um, another one of those PGMOL mm. Dur moments. Uh, a couple of them in this game. Um, a lot of people disagreed with the Eze thing. What mm. are your thoughts? The Eze penalty, what are your thoughts on that one? Honestly, I've looked at it a lot of times. I'm still contemplating it. It's a, it was a very difficult one, one that's definitely <laughs> been given before. I think yeah. Parley's foot is definitely out there, but not really leaning in. Like, yeah. Eze is definitely looking for it. You can tell. Well, Eze is looking for it. I think that was the reason. Because mm -hmm. I think Party makes contact and inhibits Eze from... And the contact could have inhibited Eze from continuing onto the ball. However. I think it's clear he is going down no matter what. And if mm -hmm. Party's stick is like out, it's probably a yellow card the other way. It's just really whether Party bailed out Eze. And I think that it if you called it a penalty on the field, you can't overturn it. But since you didn't call penalty on, on the field, it's not clear and obvious. So after you don't call it a penalty in the game, you can't overturn it. If they called it a penalty, I couldn't see myself really complaining about it. Um, it's a soft one. But it is a penalty if you call it a penalty. It's definitely not up to VAR. That's an on-field decision. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really tough one. He does... Again, there's clear contact. But again, like he kind of sticks his leg out mm. you know, to get tripped. Which I don't think he had to do. I think if yeah. he just... I think if he just continues his normal stride, he gets clipped anyway. And again, I think that that's what... Again, as I could have gotten a penalty, but I think the fact that he is looking for it has kind of just kind of screwed him over there. Again, very difficult one. Um, 
but yeah, great three points from Arsenal. Really had to just grind that one out. Never easy sure. at Sellers Park for the Gunners, but it's done. We don't have to see Jordan Ayew again for a little bit. I will be counting the days before that man retires. <laughs> Just, just such a nightmare to play against. Just yeah. such a day. Always, even at, even at his age. Um, but that rounds Matt out Martin our of match week soccer. Two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that rounds out our match week two coverage. On to some match week three coverage. Starting off with some match week three predictions. We start off with Newcastle taking on Liverpool at St James. Ethan, what do you got? Yeah, so really exciting matchup for this one, definitely. Um, Liverpool off the board with their first win against Bournemouth. Like you said, rocky start, but they got there in the end, especially with 10 men, did very well to get the goal and really looked in control. Newcastle, I don't think we can overly judge that game away at the Etihad and really take that too much into account. Um I mean, when they're at home, they are a very, very difficult side to beat. Uh, Liverpool were one of the few, however, who were able to beat them at St. James's last year. Um, I'm going to go with 1-0 Newcastle. Um, mm. I think it's going to be a cagey affair to a certain extent. Um, definitely good atmosphere. Um, but I think it's just going to be a case of both teams having trouble breaking down the other. And I just think in the end, Newcastle are just going to be able... I think it could be an early Newcastle goal and Newcastle just withstand the Liverpool pressure, you know, mm-hmm. with the backing of that St. James's Park crowd. Um, so if I want to get a specific prediction, I'll say um, an Anthony Gordon goal in the uh, 28th minute and they see it out from there. Uh, I'm, I agree with you. I think that Newcastle will take all three here. I think that Liverpool's performance against Chelsea was really, really bad. And I think it was really, really bad because Chelsea were able to come at them with possession play and Bournemouth weren't able to do that. So they weren't able to really trouble that, uh, midfield when they gave the ball away because they gave they, they gave the ball away a decent amount in the Bournemouth game but they gave it away a lot against Chelsea who are a much better side um I think that they're going to continue to be a little bit weak defensively and a little bit vulnerable not weak but vulnerable defensively um with that Trent midfields you know pivot thing they got going on uh, I think Newcastle will take much better advantage of the chances Liverpool give them in the midfield. Newcastle's midfield much better than New- than Chelsea's, at least, you know, it was, it is so far this season. Um, with Tenali, who didn't play great uh, against City, but then again, he didn't, they didn't really have the ball much, so he couldn't really be great. Um, yeah. So I think that they rebound much easier against Liverpool especially at home. I'm going to say 2-0. And then we're going to go back to the bottom of the table for what could be an early relegation six-pointer. Everton Wolves. Both teams sitting on 
nil points. What do you got? Yeah, we got a very early El Shitico coming up uh, <laughs> this weekend. But a big chance for one of these teams to uh, get out of the relegation zone, possibly not be in the conversation for uh, Darby, such as El Shitico. It is still very early on. Three points can completely shift the narrative this early. Um, it's tough because you always want when Everton are playing against poor teams, you do usually back them playing at home. However, Wolves did look very, very good against United. Um, I mean, Brighton completely outclassed them. Um, but Brighton are just really, really good. Um, so I'm having trouble leaning either way. I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. I think if you're predicting more than two goals in this game, you're fucking crazy. I think the fact <laughs> that I'm predicting two goals is ridiculous. That's definitely yeah. the ceiling for this game. <laughs> I'm going to say nil-nil. I think this game is going to be genuinely unwatchable. Um, just And it, like some nil-nils are like watchable. Not this one. Not this one, mm. partner. <laughs> uh, this one is going to be a Saturday at 10 o'clock. There's a couple other games going on. You can find something else to watch. All right. For, not, Force United, Arsenal, Fulham, Brentford Palace. Just, you can find out the score afterwards. Although it might mean a lot come match week 38. This week, I, I would watch something else. You can look, watch the highlights later if you, if you desire. But that leads us straight into our final segment for this week. And Ethan, come on down. <laughs> you are today's newest contestant on the Kais Sado is right. That's right. The Kais Sado is right. <laughs> it's today's game show. And Ethan is our lucky contestant for today. Ethan, your job today will be just very simple. What's more expensive? The Todd Bowley-related item or any other item of my choosing? <laughs> you can you do that for me, Ethan? I sure can. All right. Let's get right into it, shall we? I mean, the rules are pretty simple. I give you two items. You say which one is more expensive. Just three today. Keeping it nice and short. But round one. It's the man, Moises Caicedo, the namesake of our game today. Is he more expensive than the projected worth of Watford Football Club? Hmm. According to multiple sources. I don't really like... I don't have a great knowledge of what football clubs are worth other than like the very, very biggest ones. Like mm -hmm. I know what Chelsea costs 2 billion. I think there mm -hmm. were bids of around four or 5 billion for United, but I really couldn't tell you what the clubs like. Uh, and I know Wrexham were bought for like 4 million. So yeah, I only know either extreme. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what, you know, the lower Premier League clubs, the upper tier, uh, 
championship clubs are worth. I, I didn't make these like super close. Like uh, one's like 122 and one's 123. Yeah. Like it's just a crapshoot. I, I, mm. I made sure to put a little bit of a buffer in there. Uh, I know Ellen John is a big... Uh, is he an investor or... Is he an owner or just big supporter? I think he's. I think he's, I think he's an owner. I think he's a minority uh, investor. I mean, he's got a stand for God's sake there. So, <laughs> um, I'm gonna say more. Watford, Watford have had some good spells in the Premier League. Um, I mean, I'm sure obviously being in the Championship has taken them down a peg or two, but I gotta imagine that he, uh, Watford's worth more than I say though. I'm going Watford. That is correct. Yes, come on. Ethan is one for one in the Kais Sato is right competition. Round two. We're looking at Maduke this time. What is more expensive, Maduke's transfer fee or the most expensive Super Bowl commercial from 2022? It was Amazon's mind reader commercial. It was 130 seconds. What was more expensive? Amazon's mind reader commercial. Very on brand for a data brand. Or was it Maduke's? 130 seconds is a lot. Two minute commercial. Over, over two minute commercial for the Super Bowl. Do you know how and much Maduke cost? Maduke. Maduke, Maduke. I'm saying Madueke. I should know this because he was my career mode legend. So I'm saying Madueke. Um <laughs> I I think he was like 30 or 35 million, somewhere in that range. Um I honestly think it's the Super Bowl commercial. Over two minutes is a ridiculous amount for a Super Bowl commercial. They are so expensive, and Amazon surely paid a lot for that. So I'm gonna go with that Super Bowl commercial. Oh, I'm sorry. Though. Oh, come on. Maduke is worth $36.15 million. And the most expensive Super Bowl commercial, Amazon's Mighty Reader commercial, was 130 seconds. Over two minutes was $26 million. The spot was $26 million. Damn. All right, one for two. You have a chance to take it all. All the marbles here. Round three. What was more expensive? All of Todd Bowley's spending since he became owner of Chelsea Football Club or the projected net worth of the Mona Lisa according to Wikipedia perhaps okay. the world's most famous relic <laughs> or Todd Bowley's spending in the last two last two windows <laughs> last okay two well this one is actually I won't say anything Okay. Well, I know that Todd Bully's spending has like just gone over a billion dollars. So it's basically a billion dollars. Is the Mona Lisa worth more than a billion dollars? I guess that's the question here. Um, surely the Mona Lisa is not worth over a billion dollars. <laughs> but it is the Mona Lisa. It literally is, it is the most. the world's most famous relic. Yeah, it is the most famous piece of artwork in human history. But is that worth more than a shit Chelsea team? <laughs> that is the question. Depends who you ask. But there is one answer. 
oh, there's no way it's worth more than a billion. In the words of Connor for real, Moa Lisa, you're an overrated piece of shit. <laughs> Just like this Chelsea team. I'm going to say that this top boy spending is more expensive than the Moa Lisa. You are correct, Ethan. Yes. Two let's go. for three to finish I'll out. I'll take that. I'll take that. The Kai Sato is right. Todd Bowley spending is 1.085 billion. The Mona Lisa is worth 970 million. Just creeping okay, under that's still that insane. billion mark. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, and I think it would go for more than that. If it went up for auction, it would probably be probably over a billion just because it's never been put up for auction and a lot by a lot of art collectors it's considered to be priceless that being said you got it right today that concludes the kais sato is right maybe next time it'll be a different club but i think uh, maybe we could just do the Sato is right for just all others we could do we could do five like segments of this yeah (laughs) he's got got the billion dollars like we, we could keep going uh but in the interest of time We'll only do three rounds today. Ethan, congratulations. And with that, you ran out of the podcast for this week. A lot of tasty fixtures coming up this week. We will say goodbye. Adios. See ya.